Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. How many have heard that scripture read a few times in your life? Well, let's don't turn it off this evening and say, well, I've heard it, I've heard it all. But let's bring our thoughts tonight into the captivity of the Lord and see what the Lord uh, might show us from this verse of scripture and the message this evening. What does it really mean to be Pentecostal? I remember that Jesus gave this word here from the message from the empty tomb uh, that the disciples were to go into the upper room and they were tarry until the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why was that important? Uh, because the coming of the Holy Spirit would give the church the power, the mind of God, the boldness and the wisdom to witness and attest to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit would give them the ability to witness for the Lord and to preach with signs and wonders accompanying the word that they preached and that they taught. Uh, only 120 were there in the upper room that day, but when the Spirit of God came down, uh, those disciples that had been leaving, living behind closed doors uh, in fear uh, came out with a new boldness, came out with a brand new love, and came out with a brand new anointing, and they were not afraid of anybody. Uh, they hated nothing but sin and loved everybody they came in contact with, and God used them in a very mightily way. And yet we understand today that we are Pentecostal in our doctrine, and I pray that we are Pentecostal within our experience equally as well. I was reminiscing a little bit today, and I thought the first time I ever heard the word Pentecostal mentioned uh, was when I was just a young teenage boy. We had a dry cleaning man that would come by the house every so often to pick up a few articles of clothing, and he was a Pentecostal Christian. I was not a Christian. My family were not, was not serving the Lord at that time, and mom would talk to this man, and I remember him talking about speaking in tongues. I remember him talking about the Holy Spirit, and it seemed like he had more to say about speaking in tongues than he had to say about Jesus Christ. He had more to say about being Pentecostal than he had to say about being a Christian. Uh, so I didn't understand any of that lingo, so I turned him off and went and rode my bicycle. And then I remember that years later than that, I know that, that there were times that uh, we saw some Pentecostal tent meetings in the area, and these people were weird. I mean, they were out there on the fringes, and we thought they were simply crazy people. We would take the car and park it up on the hill, and we'd watch them run under that tent. We'd watch them holler and watch them shout, and we thought they were a crazy, weird, weirdo bunch of people. And then my great-grandmother on my father's side, uh, she one time uh, told me about when she and her husband uh, went to the first Pentecostal meeting within the area where they lived. And they walked, if I remember, two miles to that particular meeting. They went to the meeting, and they didn't say a word on the way home, walked two miles back home. And finally, they were sitting around the table, and my great-grandfather said, Well, Alfie, what did you think about that? And she said, Ace, I've asked the Lord if he'll forgive me for going to that. I promise I'll never go to another mess like that as long as I live. And that's the way she felt about Pentecostal. But you know what? There was something about the service. There was something about the drawing. There was something about the anointing. 
and that caused them to go back again and again. And my great-grandmother was a charter member in Tasmanian First Assembly of God, and she died a Christian Pentecostal uh, through and through. Now, with that being said, it's interesting uh, to observe tonight uh, how non-Pentecostals attempt to define what it means to be Pentecostal. Some years ago, there was a book published uh, by, uh, that simply was, uh, was entitled, How to Be Pentecostal uh, Without Speaking in Tongues. And it was written by a non-Pentecostal, and he attempted to define Pentecostalism uh, from an external point of view. The author maintained certain outward actions, certain outward expressions being manifest were the signs of being Pentecostal. Boy, did he have a lot to learn. Just because somebody may raise their hands, just because somebody may shout, just because somebody may say hallelujah, or just because somebody might run, that does not mean that they are Pentecostal. That stuff can be mimicked, and that stuff can be a learned behavior as well. By the same token, the church at Rome was using the same approach to define what it meant to be a Jew. However, the Apostle Paul corrected their thinking by saying this, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. To define a Jew outward circumstance, a circumcision, uh, was not sufficient. It had to be an inward circumcision of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. By way of comparison, it's not the outward expression, it's not the outward exuberance, it's not the outward responding to the Holy Spirit that makes us Pentecostal. What makes us Pentecostal is a vibrant experience based on the Bible of the indwelling of God's presence on the inside of us. It's not just about singing and praising and raising our hands and jumping. We can do all of that and not be a Pentecostal person. These are merely some of the expressions that Pentecostal people uh, may have within a given service and a period of time. It's that inward witness of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's that inward witness of the Spirit of God having His way within our life. It's that inward witness that we are flowing uh, with the Holy Spirit that causes us to say, and truly, we are a Pentecostal people. The characteristics of a Spirit-filled life often are absent even in the life of those that profess to be Pentecostal uh, because many times the Pentecostal doctrine is not taught. Uh, many times it's not understood and many times it's not modeled before people. We're getting a number of people today that are coming out of non-denominational churches that are coming into Pentecostal churches and yet many of us as Pentecostals we ourselves do not know what it means to be Pentecostal. And I believe it's imperative that we know what we believe and that we know why we believe what we do and that we base our experience on God's Word and not upon some argument by a man. I mean, they don't understand what Pentecostals believe in practice. They don't understand what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, uh, to flow in the ministry of the Holy Spirit either. An important function, I believe, is tonight we want to sit down. What does it truly mean to be Pentecostal? First of all, a Pentecostal person is one whose experience is expressed through lifestyle. Does that make sense? 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance is a distinct experience that is subsequent to and separate from conversion. They are not one and the same. Jesus spoke of this experience in John 7, 38. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So don't miss the truth that the Bible said. But this he spake, he of the Spirit, verse 39, that was to be given after the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus invites every believer, come unto me and drink, symbolizing the Spirit's work in conversion. And then later, for those who continue to drink of the Holy Spirit, uh, we get to the spout where the power of God is poured out. He said, ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. John tells us that Jesus is the one that baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's not designed to be one isolated work of the Spirit, but thank God we have one initial infilling of the Spirit of God, but there are many refillings in the life of a child of God. And we should have a vibrant lifestyle of the flowing of the Spirit of God within our life. Let me say it again. When you and I are born again, it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body of Christ. But after we are born again, it is Jesus Christ who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Conversion is a one-time thing, but being filled with the Spirit is an everyday way of life. Thank God we can come every day and come before the throne of God and be refilled again and again. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time take-all. It's an event, an experience we can have with God every day of our life. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he gives us an illustration. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, and have been all made to drink unto one Spirit. Now some define this metaphor in the Hebrew uh, 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 synopsis parallel that refers to the same experience. But Stan Horton, did you have Stan Horton in class anywhere? Dr. Stan Horton was one of the greatest professors I ever had. And he wrote in one of his commentaries, and he said this, those baptized in the body are then given the one spirit to drink or made to drink with the same spirit. He states, this is the new fact and can mean that we are imbued or saturated with the one spirit and can thus refer to an experience like that on the day of Pentecost. Are you aware that what the early church experienced on the day of Pentecost we should, we could, and we must have the same experience in our life in 2021. Amen. We may not see the cloven tongues of fire come upon us, and we may not hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Those were isolated instances that happened one time with the outpouring of the Spirit. But they were all filled with the Spirit and baptized again and again and again. And one thing was always true that happened. They always spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Not just to speak in tongues, but it was the outward testimony of the inward indwelling of the Spirit of God that came into those people. Friend, I don't want to live on yesterday's experience if I can have an up-to-date one with God today. Amen. It's clear that the believers being encouraged to drink deeply out of the wells of God's Holy Spirit and on a continued basis. And again, that's keeping with what Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Not a one-time thing, but continually be filled with the Spirit. Weymouth translates this, drink deeply of God's Spirit. 
That's not a one-time encounter of the Holy Spirit. It's a lifestyle of living and walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. A Pentecostal uh, seeks to imitate the lifestyle of the early church where the disciples were filled to speak. They were filled to pray. They were filled to worship. They were filled to wor- to, to, with wisdom. They were filled with faith. They were filled with love. They were filled with joy. And they were filled with power. Amen. We shouldn't settle for anything less than be filled with the fullness of God. Secondly, a Pentecostal person is one whose theology is built on Scripture. Now, friends, to me, this is extremely important. A Pentecostal looks to and leans on the Scripture in order to establish our biblical worldview. In the book, Think Like Jesus, George Barna says, and I quote, Only 14% of born-again adults rely on the Bible as their moral compass and believe that moral truth is absolute. We must accept what God's Word says. Now here lies the problem. There's a lot of people that are approaching the Bible subjectively and they are interpreting it through their worldview. And because they don't have an experience of the Holy Spirit, they're to say, you, don't, you, you shouldn't have one. But we base our experience on the Word of the living God. And a man or a woman with an experience based on the Word of God is not to be at the mercy of someone that simply has an argument. Does that make sense? So it's imperative that we know that we are Pentecostals. We accept the Bible as God's Word. It's it's inspired. It's it's accurate. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an error. Uh, There's no error. It's infallible, inspired, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. And the Bible is the basis of our Pentecostal theology. And it's being watered down every day. Are you aware the number of Pentecostal preachers that no longer believe that we have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? Are you aware the number of people that don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is even for today? We've allowed the climate of the world. We've allowed liberal teaching. We've allowed unfounded hermeneutics uh, to sway us into believing that because nobody, that many people don't experience it, that we shouldn't experience it. But we have the Bible on our side. And I'm grateful that God's Word is true. Pentecostals stand firmly with those who upheld the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, and I quote, We contend for every word of the Bible and believe in the verbal, literal inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, we believe there can be no other kind of inspiration. If the words are taken from us, the exact meaning is of itself lost. Bishop J.C. Ryle pointed out, and he said, the danger of assuming anything less uh, than full inspiration. He said, and I quote, We corrupt the Word of God most dangerously when we throw any doubt on the plenary or the absolute inspiration of any part of the Holy Scriptures. This is not merely corrupting the cup, but the whole fountain. This is not merely corrupting the bucket of living water, but poisoning the whole well. End of quote. Billy Graham, early on in his ministry and salvation, he doubted the inspiration of the Word of God. 
But as Billy Graham dove into the Scriptures, as he prayed, as he studied, he was convinced that the Word of God indeed was without error. It was inspired of God, and doctrine could be, should be, and must be taken from the Word of the living God. And he believed that it was a sword in his hand, and Pentecostals like the Thessalonians have received the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but as it were the truth, the Word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. Do not compromise the Word of God. And the Word of God cannot mean today what it did not mean when it was written. It is yes, it's amen, and it's forever established in heaven. Thirdly, a Pentecostal person has a hermeneutic that is informed by his experience. I taught hermeneutics in college. Hated that class. I didn't like taking it. I didn't like teaching it. But hermeneutics is simply put, by definition, a method of interpretation concerning interpretation, especially of the Bible of literary text. Jesus put an expert of the law on the, on the, on the stump one day when he tried to test Jesus and, uh, concerning the Scripture. And Jesus asked this man two questions. What do the Scriptures say and how do you interpret them? And today that's hermeneutics. What does the Scripture say and how do we interpret it? What does the Scripture say about salvation? You don't pull out one, two Scriptures and build doctrine. You go from Genesis to Revelation to find out what the Word of God says. What does the Bible say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You don't pull out one Scripture and build doctrine. You go from the beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end, and you let the Bible speak to you about what the Bible says about the baptism in the Holy Spirit of God. So the questions are, what do the Scriptures say, and how do we interpret them? Those two are the basic questions as we study the Word of God today. We must know what the Bible says and properly interpret what the Bible says. The Pentecostal hermeneutic unashamedly brings the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit under the teaching of the Word of God. If we can be talked out of this, if we can be deceived out of this, then it's Katie bar the door for the church. But I'm going to tell you, we need to blow the dust off of the Word Amen. and say, God, teach me the ways of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you something, friends. I don't have to say it just except to say it. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, people around me were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't. And I'm going, what's wrong with me? Does God not love me? Am I doing something wrong? And I'd get around the altars and I would pray and one person would say, go on, brother, hang on. Another one would say, let go, brother. I didn't know what to do. God baptized many of us in spite of those shenanigans and not because of them. And everybody meant well. And just yield. Well, how do you yield to the Holy Spirit? If I could teach you how to yield, I'd be the most sought after man in all the world. And they say, just yield to the Holy Spirit. How do I yield to the Holy Spirit? And I was making it a chore. I had the doctrine. I had the theology from God's Word. I was lacking the experience. And I read how God wanted to baptize and how God said, I will pour out. And how God said, if you're thirsty, I'll give you to drink. I saw all of that. And I said, God, here I am. What do I do? And I just expected Him to just turn it over in my heart. It didn't happen that way. But when I came to the end of myself, and when I quit trying to receive and just simply submitted and said, God, I'm wore out tonight. I'm tired. I love you, and next thing I know, I'd yielded myself to the power of the Holy Spirit. It was wonderful. 
But I made it hard. I made it so difficult. And if we're not careful, many times if we don't experience what the Word of God says we can, we often think it's not for us. We often think we've done something wrong. We often think it can't be for today because I don't have it. Friend, we cannot let our experience bring to us what the Word of God says, but we've got to bring our experience in line with the Word of God. We don't change the word for our experience. Our experience must line up with the word of God. So I'm here to tell you, if you've yet to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not God's fault. I don't know whose fault it is. I'm not blaming you anymore. I blame myself. I'm simply saying I had to learn to grow in the grace of God and to get out of the way let him have his way. And if I could tell you how to do that, I'd be a sought after man. But if you just get in your heart of hearts, God is no respecter person. The theology, the hermeneutic is he wants us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking of the tongues the Spirit of God gives the utterance. And by the way, that's not going to make you any better than anybody else if you have the Holy Spirit or any less if you don't. The prerequisite for heaven has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. And by the way, if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to alter your personality once you get saved. If you're a nut before you get saved, you'll just be a spirit-filled nut after you're saved. Amen. Are you with me? He wants us to have power and the vital presence of the Spirit of God. We reject the accusation that Pentecostals are unbiblical because many people exegete their own theology from their experience. What I mean by that, those who claim the gifts of the Holy Spirit no longer exist are doing what they accuse Pentecostals of doing, exegeting from their own Pentecostal experience, non-Pentecostal experience. There's a lot of things I could say about that. Let me quote, if I may, a Pentecostal, uh, uh, Canadian Pentecostal preacher by the name of Roger uh, uh, Stronston. He said, it's proper to affirm that only the redeemed, only those whose faith in the same as the apostles can do biblical exegesis of theology. In other words, saving faith is the necessary experience prerequisite for understanding the biblical message. He said, Pentecostals bring a valid experimental presupposition to the interpretation of Acts, which enables them to understand the charismatic life of the apostolic church, as Luke reports it, better than those contemporary Christians who lack the experience. What am I trying to say? God said, I will open up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Prior to the death, Jesus promised in the absence of the Father, he would send another comforter, the spirit of truth, who would guide you into all truth. Today, my friends, we look to the Holy Spirit to lead us. He'll never lead us contrary to the Bible. He always leads us according to truth. The same Holy Spirit inspired holy men of old is the same Holy Spirit that will inspire us today. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let me hasten. So much I want to say tonight. Notice the scripture tells us the Pentecostal hermeneutic, the way we interpret, is governed by the truth of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what isn't right. Correction tells us how to get right. And instruction tells us how to stay right. And we can get that from the Word of God. The book of Acts is one that's powerful today. May I remind you, it is not the acts of the apostles. 
It's the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. When you come to the end of the book of Acts, there is no ending to the book. The same Holy Spirit that moved upon the early church is the same Holy Spirit that wants to continue to move through us. We are still writing the acts of the disciples of Christ. Only if we're full of the Holy Spirit and allow Him to have His way in our lives. The pattern of the Spirit baptism from Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 is so simple but yet so profound. It involves three elements in the following order. The infilling of the Spirit, the enablement or the utterance through the Spirit, and the speaking by the Spirit. Again, the infilling of the Holy Spirit always precedes speaking in tongues. We are filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We don't speak in tongues and get the Holy Spirit. The tongue can only come after we have received that infilling. So enablement always accompanies the speaking in tongues, and speaking always requires the infilling and the enablement. Enablement means speaking the Spirit's ability, thank God. I am grateful He's alive, He's real, and He wants to work through us. Fourthly, a person who's Pentecostal is discipled, as was the early church. The followers of Jesus Christ were first disciples, and then they became what? Apostles. It was from following him, take up my yoke and learn of me, that they became fishers of men. And then Luke, he identified the characteristics of the disciples and he said, they, the 3,000, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. We have an experience based upon God's word, but for us to continue to be Pentecostal, we need the word of God. We need to continue in prayer. We need the fellowship with each other. We need the breaking of bread. We need to be in places where the Spirit of God can use us and work through us. If you don't exercise, you're going to get stiff. You're going to get old faster, right? So we place our bodies in positions to exercise. Why? So that our heart will pump better and the blood will circulate. By the same token, there are times I believe God wants to lead us into situations where we must rely upon the Holy Spirit so that He can have predominance within our life. We don't just say, okay, God, show up one day and do something. We've got to be where the action is so He can do something through us on the outside. Notice, if you will, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes such experiences as an overflowing of the Spirit, a deeper reverence for God, an intensified concentration, consecration to God, and a dedication to His work, a love for His people, a love for an unsaved world, and the list goes on and on. And we're motivated to love the Lord for His Word and for the lost. These are the traits of a New Testament Spirit-filled disciple. Have you ever seen a Pentecostal that says they're Pentecostal experience and they're grouchy and they're grumpy and they're judgmental? Anybody ever seen anybody like that? Do we really have the true Pentecostal experience or we just say we're Pentecostal when we're not? Just asking. Just asking. Those are the traits of the Spirit-filled Christ. Pentecostals seek to follow the other church example of stewardship when it comes to our time, when it comes to our gifts, when it comes to our talents. And a mark of the early church was their commitment to truth. For God's sake, church, let's guard the truth. Amen. One of the great things about the Holy Spirit is He will lead us into what? All truth.
Guard the truth. The enemy is relentless on trying to get us to compromise the truth. If the enemy cannot beat us down, he'll try to make us compromise. And if you and I will stay in the Word of God, it will be, be saturated in God's Word. We will know the truth. Now, a lot of people say, well, I've got to study all these false doctrines, and that way I know what's false. Let me tell you. I have been told through the years, I don't know how true it is, but I have been told this all my life, that with some banking industries, they take people and put them in vaults, and they handle real money all day long. And that way, if they send them a counterfeit, they spot it immediately because they know the real. If you and I know the real intimately well, we will know the counterfeit when it comes our way. And it's so easy for Pentecostal people to be so deceived and compromise truth. You know why? We rely so much upon sensationalism. We have personality cults that we sometimes worship without admitting that we worship them. And there are some of these people that are off the wall in their theology, maybe not a lot, but just enough, that if we listen to them, we're going to find ourselves not being true to the Word of God. As a result, it's going to bring heartache to our own lives. Amen. Friend, don't believe what I say just because I'm pa your pastor. For God's sake, back it up with a book. Amen. I can make a mistake. I want to be led of the Spirit. I want to walk in truth. I want to preach in truth. I want to live the truth. But there are times we all can maybe be in error and not know it. That's not an oxymoron. But we always are growing. Back up. And you know what? A lot of people are going to go to heaven and hell according to what a preacher tells them. Because many people won't get in the book and set it out for themselves. A Pentecostal person depends on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We understand that the Spirit baptism is an anointing to carry out the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to combat the works of the darkness in this present world. And let me tell you, God told Peter, or Jesus told Peter, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all were pressed to the devil, for God was with him. When Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of God the Father at the resurrection, I'm here to tell you he sent the power of the Holy Spirit back. We are in a day of darkness. We are in a day of demonic saturation. And we must have the goods, if you will. We must have the anointing. We must have the truth. And we must practice it daily to not be afraid of the darkness, but to strike the match of God's power and love. I still am a firm believer that God desires to confirm his word through your life and through mine. And he did that through the early church. He'll do it through us. With that being said, at Pentecostal believers, the spirit baptism is the source of many of the gifts and many of the ministries. Hear me to tell you, God wants to use every one of us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the nine charismatic gifts. The gifts of the Spirit reside in the Holy Spirit that resides in us, and He gives severally as He wills. I pray every day, virtually, God manifest the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Lord, let there be words of wisdom and words of knowledge coming forth, and let there be discerning of spirit, whether it's God working or the devil working. And Lord, let there be gifts of healings that may flow and the working of miracles that may flow and the gift of faith that might be, uh, be a manifest among the people of God. We need the best gifts that God has for us today. It's not enough to know that the Word of God said they're ours, but God help us to operate in the gifts. He's also, according to uh, Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12, uh, we, we see many gifts 
the fivefold gifts of a prophet, of a teacher, of an evangelist, of a pastor. Uh, the fivefold gift and the prophet. That's the gift. Your pastor is a gift to the church. Amen. Your pastors are a gift to the church. And we understand these are gifts that God has given. And he also talks to us also uh, in Romans chapter 12 about gifts as well. There's like 20 some different gifts of the Holy Spirit. We only regulate sometime uh, to the nine gifts of the Spirit out of 1 Corinthians. But in the last day prior to his second coming, we're going to see increased activity in satanic power, satanic manifestation. And church, I'm going to tell you, we better learn how to pray in the Holy Spirit. There have been so many times in prayer, I didn't know what to say in English. But if I would yield myself to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to pray through me, there are times I still don't know what I was saying. But I know one thing, I touched the throne of God because of the Spirit of God on the inside. I remind you, friends, there are no new revelation of the Word of God. Let me tell you something. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Amen. Can I say that again? If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Because the revelation is complete right here. It is. But the Holy Spirit can give us illumination on the revelation that we can see depth of this book that we've never seen before. But in this last day, we must be full, full up of the Holy Spirit not just in doctrine, but in experience. Because I believe God is going to be taking us into intercessory prayer like many of us have never known before to combat the powers of darkness that's in this world today. Jesus gave his disciples authority and he gave them power over the enemy. And the church has been equipped through the spirit baptism with the gifts and ministries of the spirit to counter the powers of darkness in this world. Ever since Jesus rose from the grave, since he was exalted to the right hand of God the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit and he has not lost his power. He's not lost his ability to do what he wants to do. Jesus is our model for Pentecostal ministry. Luke said that Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. He was led by the Spirit. Why? To confront the devil. His victory over Satan was accomplished how? Through the Word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We are not going to argue our way out of a battle with the devil. It's going to be through the Word of God and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His preaching was powerful. It was effective because the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. We must have the Spirit of the Lord upon us equally as well. What did he do? He said the anointing was to preach, to heal, to proclaim liberty, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And the world we minister in is the same condition. They're poor, they're brokenhearted, they're imprisoned, they're blind, they're oppressed, they are possessed. And they need a jubilee in their life, a day of release. And the only way they're going to find that release is through a Pentecostal church that is more than just Pentecostal in doctrine, but Pentecostal in experience. And when we speak in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, the confirmation will be there that Jesus is glorified. God, fill me again with the Holy Spirit. As Pentecostals, we believe the same Spirit that anointed Jesus is promised to us to anoint us as well. His will will be done. His work will be accomplished as we yield to Him. Now, what does it mean to be Pentecostal? It means allowing our Lord to carry out His heavenly ministry in us and through us 
through the gift of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It means being allowed to participate through the Holy Spirit in the purpose for which the Son of God was manifest. What? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Are you aware we have the obligation, responsibility, and the wherewithal to destroy the works of the devil? It means being empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise the Pentecostal gifts and the ministry that comes with the Pentecostal experience. I pray God stir up the gifts that lie dormant in your life, stir up the gifts that lie dormant within my own life, that we might be Pentecostal. And when we see how God has blessed and used the Pentecostal movement since the turn of the 20th century, we should be grateful that Jesus has given us the privilege of being part of a great Pentecostal heritage. I've said many times in the past, we are guardians of the past. We are keepers of the present and we're architects of the future. We have been handed a great Pentecostal experience. What are we going to hand off to the next generation? Should the Lord tarry? I shudder to think what the American Pentecostal Church will look like just a few years down the road if we keep going the same direction that many have been going today. God help us. May God create a hunger in us.